for some reason, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, thought, hey, I've been a, a string of great films with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think it's about time I just do a crap film now. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yanis Jr. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. On this show, we democratize the film criticism conversation by bringing on fans and critics alike to dig into their personal connection to a current or classic release. However, this week we're going to be looking forward to 2020, the year in film, and to help me do that, I am welcoming welcoming to the show Tom Chang. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. Hi, Rob. So, Tom, tell listeners a little bit about who you are and what you have going on and where they can where they can find your work. Well, um, I write for Blaine Cool. Uh, there, we're we write pop culture, uh, movies, uh, um, TV shows, comics, games, uh, anything really geek out there. We'll find some to run out for it. So, um, my latest I have on there is I have a interview with Jason Lee from Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. Oh, cool. Uh, he's coming from a hiatus from acting to concentrate on his photography work. And he's got some pretty great work on there. Um, if you go to jasonleephotography.com, he's got some great uh, look at the Midwest. Um, it's based on the films that he grew up watching and liking. It's definitely worth checking out. And uh, the movie itself is uh, definitely recommend for any uh, Kevin Smith fan of his films who may have they followed his time since uh, Clerks and Mallrats and everything. It's kind of see, you know, the who's who of what came out of got their start with uh, with him, and uh, see how things have come come along since then. And um, it's a fun ride if you enjoy Kevin Smith films. Definitely fun ride. So. Yeah, he actually he actually came. Uh, Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes were doing the whole uh, Jay and Silent Bob road, reboot road show all over the the country, and they actually came yeah. here to Tampa, Florida. So my brother and I went to that and saw uh, saw the film and a little Q and A. Yeah, I was I was surprised uh, initially when they just announced that they're just doing a road show and um, instead of doing a wide release, um, right. but having seen the film, I definitely understand why because really. Not really so sure if the wide release would have been a great idea because it is, it's literally a fan's film. Mm-hmm. Like to, it's a tribute to all his previous work. So, which distinguishes us especially from uh, the first Jane Silent Bob uh, centric movie, Strike Back. So that was more of a mainstream comedy, whereas the reboot is more of a love letter to the fans. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. I would agree that completely. And yeah, I think it just hit Blu-ray and things like that. So people, yeah, definitely people that are fans of Smith's work uh, need to check it out. But yeah, it's it's about it's just about as inside baseball as you can get for a Kevin Smith fan. Yeah, pretty it's like, much. It's like references wrapped within references is, is kind of what's going on there. Yeah, I mean, typically when it comes to going on the outside in, a, a, a measure of a good movie is if you need to get a, a lot of huge backlog into it going in and seeing having to see the other stuff beforehand. And, and this is one of the cases where, yeah, um, if you haven't seen the other stuff, 
you probably will not get almost 99% of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. So I definitely recommend it by both of us, I think, if you're into his movies. So, so Tom, when I reached out to you about doing the podcast, and I was like, well, you know, normally we talk about a movie, whatever. You, were, you seemed like you wanted to talk about the movies coming up in 2020. So I was thinking we could just run through those sort of chronologically. And it, it's, you know, I want to preface this conversation for anyone listening that it is, you know, we're recording this late January. Uh, as far as a 2020 preview, I mean, it's not like much really that notable comes out in January anyway. Um, yeah. So we're not really missing much in the first few weeks of the year. But it's also, you know, Sundance is happening. I mean, what, are we, what are we really missing out on? <laughs> Yeah, Sundance is happening right now, but what are we risking out so far? Do right. little? I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't Gosh. think, I think maybe five people were looking forward to that, but <laughs> yeah, that was one of those that anyone paying attention that it just from the trailer, you were like, oh no, no, this is going to be bad. Universal, first cats and now this. Come on now. It's kind of like there was nothing wrong with the Eddie Murphy one, and it's kind of, and oh, look what could we do with photorealistic CGI now? And right. Uh, I mean, it, it was kind of lackluster when it was the Lion King because, and it just didn't really need to be made, but like, okay, fine. But right. it's doesn't, it's just a cash grab for families. That's really it. A hundred percent. And I think, I think on some level universal knew that that's why they were like throwing it in the, the dumping ground that is always January basically where yeah. everyone is, is either, you know, just d- recovering from the holidays uh, or keyed up for the Oscars, you know, and catching up with all the nominated movies. So I don't, I don't think that, yeah, there's another, we weren't missing much in January, basically, is my no. point. Uh, and I, you know, I mentioned Sundance because as we have this conversation, we're going to fo- focus mo- mostly on franchise movies, but of course there's going to be a million smaller little movies that we wouldn't even think to talk about because people are now just discovering them at Sundance and in the festival circuits throughout the year. So uh, that's definitely, we're going to definitely forget about some great movies that'll come out in 2020, just kind of hitting the, I guess the, the heavy hitters, the big blockbusters, which ones are going to be worth it and which ones we're, we're a little more skeptical on that kind of thing. Well, it just seems like Sundance is kind of one of those forms that, you know, films that need notice and, um, need advertising in general, just to get that out there. It, 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 it's a form for that. I mean, Sundance for promoting major blockbusters. I mean, come on, it's mm-hmm. really grotesque. It's it, yeah, because the studios can throw money at it and everything. Uh, it, it takes away from movies that actually need the attention. And I mean, the advertising dollars from studios could go elsewhere where everyone else could benefit from it. But the like the real gems out there, the ones that could promote Oscar bait and just literally the, the struggling filmmakers that are trying to make something and stand out and just be the next generation of creative types that, you know, could be up and comers, you know, that that's should be what sin dance is all about. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. A hundred percent. Uh, so that being said, I guess, do we want to just basically start with February and March and kind of, what are, what are the big ones, I guess, in February and March that you think uh, we're kind of either looking forward to or sort of curious about, just kind of get to get started? I guess it really, I guess it really starts with Birds of Prey, which has sort of the, the Deadpool slot in like early February. Well, I mean, yeah, sure. It's not going to be, I mean, I, I think there's going to be some 
fourth wall breaking on that, but it's probably not going to be as absurd and maybe as crude as Deadpool. Mm -hmm. But I mean, definitely it's kind of one of those things where, you know, they're going to have fun and it, it has, I mean, birds of prey, um, they have kind of like this built in kind of punk type audience, but, uh, there's kind of a risk. Um, I'd say that it could go as, it kind of it could backfire like Sucker Punch did, mm, yeah. um, and now it's very hyped up too. I think Margot Robbie can technically guide this film out as just on her name recognition alone, but you know it, it's kind of a tread cautiously thing. I mean, they have established people in there. They it, it's DC's kind of um, established already in there and. Um, it's kind of it's a flip of the coin. It's kind of a um, a nice kind of testing waters uh, as far as being outside the box uh, convention as far as heroes that we don't normally see. Mainly, I think it's refreshing because well, DC is kind of exploring more in their bank of heroes that are outside of the Justice League because most of the time when we see about movies. It wasn't too long ago that two generations ago, all we ever hear about was Batman and Superman, right? Yeah. And even like Wonder Woman's teased a few times on TV, but now they actually have something to build on, even though DCEU is kind of a mess in, in this respect that their two top actors that played the two biggest heroes are gone now. Or actually, it's never been official, official with Henry Cavill, but. I mean, it's kind of like, okay, we don't have anything, so let's just get the projects out of the way that we have that we know are going to be there. And when that ties to the greater universe, hey, we'll just play it by ear. Yeah, and that's that's the, the ironic thing with when the DCEU was really kicking off, you know, their whole... I guess mindset, their approach was, well, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to build this brick by brick like the MCU. We're just going to be like, boom, we're all existing. Let's just make it happen. And now they're sort of kind of having to quasi reset and, uh, and, and <laughs> rebuild, like rebuild the foundation where that they don't, they, I mean, this, as you said, DC's whole thing is built on Batman and Superman's back and we don't have a Batman or Superman right now, kind of. And, and not, not to mention, of course, that it, it's just going to, it's, confusing as hell in, yeah. in respect that okay so they found a way to write off joker or rather jared leto's joker um out of the picture and then now you have some cross-pollination and there's talk i hope it really doesn't go i mean i hope they don't do it but i know it's probably going to happen is todd phillips joker Mm -hmm. um it's you know obviously because of the oscars and uh but the nominations the attention it's getting there's and joaquin phoenix has never done a sequel before right um ever and you know obviously todd phillips has done the hangover films but as far as building up and everything it is it, it's fine the way it is and and honestly, I think it's one of the most overrated films. I mean, it, it, it's good for what it did, right? But right. the foundation for it was already there. It was hard to fail. It had, you know, literally it was inspiration directly pulled from uh, Martin Scorsese films and Robert De Niro. So unapologetic to the fact that he even got him in the film. You know, his most notable works inspired by King of Comedy and uh 
taxi driver. Right. It's essentially you take those, you take DC out of it. That's pretty much what it is. It's yeah. a copy of those films. Yeah, absolutely. So, and that's why when I came out of Joker, I was I I was just you know I, I thought it was an interesting effort that they tried something like that, and I thought the movie was fine. It's not until everyone is like worshiping this movie and that it's nominated for 11 Oscars making a billion dollars where I'm like, all right, guys, let's get some perspective. It's not that good now. Um, no, it but, isn't. But it's then now DC's clearly moving forward with more R-rated projects. I mean, Birds of Prey is an example. The Su- Suicide Squad was PG-13 and I think the Suicide Squad uh, sequel that James Gunn's doing also looks like it's going to be R. This is going to be R. So they're clearly now, th- that's the lesson they're learning from Joker, just make everything R-rated. Uh, unless it's Wonder Woman, I guess. Which uh, I'm kind of also wondering, it, it, it's uh, my understanding, is it kind of a soft reboot or is it kind of like a pseudo reboot? Because obviously you, you, you get some recastings involved um, now that Will Smith's out of the Deadshot role. Right. Uh, um, did, did they, who'd they cast, recast for Deadshot? Was it, uh, I think Idris Elba's playing a different character, so I don't know if they're like they're not recasting that character as far as I know, but he's he will not appear in, in uh right. this, gotcha. this other new one. So uh, I feel like this is kind of a good transition. I know we said we were gonna go quasi uh, chronological. I feel like we should just talk about Wonder Woman while we're on the DC world. What right. do what do you think about Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four as a sequel to the to the twenty seventeen film? And also I guess as a uh, you know, as a, another standalone within this supposedly interconnected franchise. Well, I mean, aside from the one window dressing that uh, I guess the art director or marketing director behind Thor Ragnarok, uh, I'm, I'm just spitballing here, but it just looks like they could, were so impressed by Thor Ragnarok's advertising and being all colorful and and seeing how much um, retro was so inspiring for Guardians of the Galaxy and Thor Ragnarok that said, hey, why can't a DC hero do this? And, mm-hmm. you know, they're fitting up Wonder Woman with all the glitz and glamour of it. And meanwhile, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of a slam dunk that the film will do well. It's just a matter of, I mean, we know Gal Gadot and Chris Pine are coming back, but it's a matter of we know nothing about Kristen Wiig's Cheetah. Yeah. Um, essentially, we see her in human form, but we don't see any form of like origins of her about um, being like this villain because we see like, OK, so there's some familiarity in relationship from the trailer, but nothing else. So aside from that, it's just the typical OTs and this is the hero, but we don't know what the hero is going through. Right. So, I mean, uh, I think for what it is, the teaser is fine, but they really need to show more so that maybe it could, I mean, it's going to make money, but I, I wanted to see a little bit more as far as like a connective tissue of a story, at least until you can start, you know, reinforcing that it's coming. But I think we need to see more before being completely comfortable with um, the film. Yeah, and I think with Birds of Prey coming out at the beginning of February and Wonder Woman coming out at the beginning of June, I think we'll probably see some, probably the second or the first real trailer maybe attached to Birds of Prey. It wouldn't surprise me if DC's just does that. So I I agree with you. I also think that the cheetah of it all, I think, is a big question uh, because that character, if not handled properly, could be really goofy on screen. 
And, uh, you know, I th- actually one of my issues with the first Wonder Woman that didn't hit me 100% well is the villains. I thought the villains were kind of goofy and, and not, you know, they weren't, they were, I don't know, I, I, didn't, I didn't really buy the villains very much in the first one. I thought it, the villains were pretty poor, Ares included in that. So I think Cheetah, if they don't pull it off, could just be another, like, um, Electro from The Amazing Spider-Man 2. It's like, oh, I'm the nerdy person that works in the building where the superhero happens to be. And, oh, now I have powers and I'm acting really, you know, over the top and and ridiculous. And where did this fur come from? You know, so I I worry that it's going to, that that can kind of sink the movie if they don't handle it properly. But I'm, you know, I'm encouraged by, you know, Gal Gadot's performance and the the, the visuals and everything looks cool. So like you, I'm intrigued, but I, I, yeah, I hope it, I just hope it sticks to landing. (laughs) I mean, I have confidence in Patty Jenkins that she'll pull it off again uh, because, I mean, she established a hero as the most important thing. But, you know, obviously it's the expectations are higher, but you obviously want to know where the villain is going on this. And it wasn't even a like when they advertised for the first film, you didn't even know who the main villain was. Uh, they didn't reveal anything of it mm-hmm. in the trailers. So now um, the stakes are higher and. You know, it, we're kind of still left with, okay, um, what are we expecting here still? You know, more of the same, or are we actually killing something like this? Is kind of the time when, when you, you know, presuming on a three act play, this is kind of like when the stakes are uh, mounting up and you see uh, heroes struggle at the most, um, the traditionally, but, you know, it's kind of like um, when you look at another trilogy, like, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy, right? The second movie was revered the most because it, he wrote, Raimi relied on Spider-Man no more um, as far as the uh, storyline goes in Doc Ock. I mean, it, he didn't need to oversaturate villains or anything like that. It was a very powerful storyline and it was a made for a great act too. Same thing with Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight. Yep. It was regarded as the best of the trilogy. It was the second film so hoping 1984 could surpass the um, the original, which it is hard to do, but it's not impossible. Yeah, I think I mean you could say that for most for a lot of trilogies, honestly. But I feel like mostly in the superhero genre, the first one because superhero origin stories kind of not that they're tiresome but like to a certain extent officially if it's a character you really know like we've seen batman's origin 400 times and spider-man like two or three that i think you know it almost feels like homework and that okay yeah yeah yeah, he gets a suit okay there we go and it doesn't really it's it just doesn't really get going until the second half and i that's why personally i feel like a lot of times superhero sequels tend to be better like you said dark knight spider-man 2 i would add add, captain uh, america yeah captain america x2 x-men united i think there's a bunch of examples of the first one's good it just kind of creates the world and then the second one the filmmaker really gets a chance to play in it so i i hope that's the case with wonder woman 1984 and i'm you know i i'm i'm optimistic i think it's it's going to be pretty good i'm i'm hopeful that it's gonna it's gonna work out um moving down a little bit there's not much in february honestly in that uh, franchise-wise, I'm kind of curious about the Invisible Man from Lee Wenell, just because uh, this will be the the third attempt to get a Universal Monsters uh, franchise started, and I'm I'm uh, that trailer was very intriguing. Do you have any thoughts about Invisible Man before we kind of continue to march? Well, I mean, pretty much they built the digital trailer for that was predicated on less is more. Mm-hmm. Um, 
uh, but it already showed some of the havoc of um, what the Invisible Man could do. But really, it, it's it's dependent on Elizabeth Moss. So right. um, the hero character and whether or not she could be likable or relatable, it's it just feels like like by the end of the trailer, you see maybe a, like seventy five percent of the movie already go by and. She's already. They're already at the near climax, and there's and the Invisible Man showing his hand. So it's one of those things where I, I think they should have just maybe built it up like um, something like you know maybe one of those traditional uh, build-ups, uh, the less is more '80s type thing where you don't know if you're coming back where whereas, but where instead this the trailer runs into the same problems as most contemporary horror films and a lot of films in general run into is showing too much of their hand to try to see if the audience could get interested. And we're already seeing Elizabeth Moss character in an insane asylum. You know, that the premise was like, okay, as long as you can be sane, you could earn the money. Fine. But it, it's the buildups kind of, it's off to a rocky start. And honestly, as far as um, Invisible Man movies are concerned, I'm not really impressed, it, it mm. say, because I, I could already point out to a, a modern one, as cheesy as it was, um, which kind of was effective in doing it, was, was Hollow Man, right? right. Paul, Paul Verhoeven's Hollow Man with Kevin Bacon. I mean, he was, he was kind of a model there, and he did everything with brutal efficiency right there, and then you know, and now you got the pretty much the template now with Elizabeth Moss and um, I don't know who's playing her ex, abusive ex, but yeah, I mean, yeah, we can't really see him <laughs> in the trailer at least, right, right. <laughs> but the guy who played the ex-husband, yeah, yeah, I mean, it just seems like kind of the typical stock horror uh, film. Um, I guess we'll see if it lives it up, but the bar isn't very high because universal monsters franchise really hasn't ever taken off no, no. at all. So yeah, you had Dracula untold and then the mummy, both of which were like pretty, they're varying degrees of, of terrible. And, uh, I think what, for me, the only thing that I, makes me a little extra interested in this is the fact that I really liked, uh, I really thought upgrade was an interesting movie. Lee Winnell's last movie. And, and I'm kind of curious what he, what he'll do with this property. I think that's, yeah. that's where I'm coming from. I mean, I agree with you. I do think the trailer gives away more than it should. So I'm hoping that, uh, I'm hoping that the movie actually follows through with that. Maybe it has a lot more, uh, you know, beneath the surface there. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I always thought that helped the, the horror films in general, which they can learn a lot from the older Hollywood, which was, you know, just the mystique, the terror behind everything. But now that everything's kind of caught up, everyone could do CG and everything. I mean, this is kind of where the human element should be up front rather than the technological front. Because, I mean, when you can replace so many jobs with CG and everything, uh, it just it doesn't feel like organically like a real horror story it just feels like a game of one upsmanship mm. and i know that's where the industry is going but i just horror films for me are only going to be good at the independent level and never really going to be at the mainstream level and I'm, I'm hoping i'm wrong and i'm hoping halloween kills and the 
is kind of the found and Danny McBride's kind of like where the foundation work it all become good again. But um, I'm I'm kind of skeptical about it. Well, that's actually sort of a good transition into about mid to late March. We have a Quiet Place Part Two, and I know this is one that you wanted to to touch on. So, what are your thoughts about that uh, that sequel? Well, they do a little more world building in that, and pretty much obviously what they could get away with advertising with the first film they can't do with the second one so they have to actually show something that goes on so what we see is the uh the leftover of the family which is the the mother and the two kids are exploring out there because obviously their home is no longer safe uh because the husband uh played by the director john krasinski um, sacrifice themselves. So now they're off to um, other inhabitants of this lone, desolate world. So I guess what we're going to see is if they can integrate themselves into a, a newer society. So, I mean, it kind of feels like um, kind of a similar vein of bleak and hopelessness like The Walking Dead, but obviously far less political. Um, but I, I, I'm, I enjoyed the first one. I'm hoping that um, it kind of follows a similar formula without getting too complicated and just hoping it goes somewhere because I don't know. It, I feel like it might go like the route of the 28 franchise um, thing where you just have, have zombies and like it goes away and it comes back and goes away. It's like you never really see a progression of where it's going. So, I mean, I know in these dystopian type stories, um, there might be a glimmer of hope or you go back to the same thing. And I guess I'm just wa- hoping it, by the end of the second film, we're asking ourselves, what's the point? So I'm hoping that it keeps up with the first one. And, you know, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times with, I think with horror movies, it's, you run the risk of just kind of really recycling the same thing over again. I mean, you see this especially with slasher films. But I think this movie, because it is more of a dystopian, I think there is an opportunity to explore a little bit more. So hopefully Krasinski can can do that. I mean, I did like the first one as well. I, I actually I need to go. I should probably go back and revisit it before I see the sequel. But Well, uh, also I, at the same time, one yeah. of the things that made Quiet, Quiet Place a superior horror film was it was – did do the less is more mm-hmm. and by the time the uh, the monster was revealed and it, it was such a blip and such quick and everything was in the human reaction so rather than just stare at um, something so frightening and just it's just kind of like in a blip you're gone just kind of like the way the film opened in the first one where the the kid little boy got the the toy rocket right mm-hmm. and then like I couldn't think of a more perfect modern horror opening as something like so precious and innocent just taken away just like that. That's the proper way of doing horror films, but they keep going the body count thing, and I don't like that because it just kind of takes it away and really desensitizes the audience. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how that how that goes. I'm looking forward to checking that out. Um, moving through March and April, we have a couple like Disney-ish, Disney releases, which is, everything's a Disney release now. But we have the live-action Mulan, the new Mutants. Mulan, I'm, I'm curious about. I think that there's a lot of real opportunity there to uh, actually tell that story in a different way. And the new Mutants, I'm still wondering if we're actually going to see it. 
But well, I mean, it's been pushed back and similar to another comic film, which I know will probably get, actually really see a release. Uh, I'm not so sure about New Mutants, but I mean, it is the last vestige of the Fox X Men series. Exactly. And I really doubt that they reshot anything to say, "Oh, look, MCU tease," and there's hope for this yet. It's going to end up like. Uh, I think Disney will probably do more effort to advertise this film than they did Dark Phoenix because the way they kind of put it off, maybe there might have been some reshots. But I know it's been on the back burner for a couple years now. But, I mean, the expectations couldn't be minimal because it was supposed to be a beginning to something. But now we know it's not going to go anywhere. We're not going to see the cast back because of the way Marvel's essentially is putting – I mean, we don't know how they're going to funnel the X-Men in, if at all, in Phase 4. That's just right off the bat. Um, They just say don't expect really anything and just kind of, like, enjoy it. So I'm going to take in New Mutants with just – it's just a one-off thing. As far as the – what was the other film you were talking about? The uh, Disney's live-action Mulan. Oh, live-action Mulan. Okay, so this one is is – deviates from the traditional live action from cartoon formula that Disney's been doing. And I say this because when you look at what they released out, like Beauty and the Beast, uh, the Lion King, um, what else did they do? Uh, Well, what other, um, yeah. Okay. So from those releases so far, okay, Mm -hmm. they've had new artists record new music they have recasted everything and they redid animation and all, all that stuff because they want to do live action, make it more photorealistic. And Mulan, though, it's going to be a more traditional war type film. And, you know, from what I've read, they're taking out any of the fantasy type elements, anything that essentially makes it dizzy, but everything in name only. So they're taking out the songs, they're taking out Mushu. So essentially it just turns into like um, a war film, a Chinese war film. And they're hoping to make it uh, broad and appealing. But as far as American um, American company, film studios making Chinese films, it's kind of a mixed bag really because um, I think there was a recent uh, film. Yeah, uh, I think it was, it was with Aquafina. Uh, yeah, she had a, a a film recently released. It was supposed to be a dramatic role, and mm-hmm, the it farewell. Was, it was, yeah, yeah, the farewell, and that completely bombed in China. Even though most of the cast and the crew were Chinese or have or Asian ethnicity, that completely bombed. So, it's. I think they're still trying to figure out if it's going to work, and they're doing everything they can to appease the Chinese market. So I guess we'll see. I mean, the, the Mulan's first yeah, I'd personally dramatic shift sorry, that Disney's done. Yeah, I personally kind of prefer they do something different with it because The Lion King was just a shot-for-shot remake almost, and it yeah. felt really pointless. So, you know, I, I'd rather if they're going to – I always tell my, my wife about these Disney remakes. I'm like, it needs to either be, be better or different, and I, I think – going the different route is probably a better option for some of these live action remakes. All right. Um, I think the Sonic the Hedgehog movie also comes out um, in February, right? Yes, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, 
I could guarantee, I can make one guarantee at least for this film, and it's something I guess Sega could have over Nintendo is that I think their live action mascot film is going to make more money than Nintendo's long. I guess I wish. Uh, I'm guessing they wish they'd forgotten about Super Mario Brothers um, live action. Yeah, forgetting <laughs> about that. But yeah, but I, I think that it's um, the the redesign and the the backing everything. Um, it's easily going to make more money, and the early projections are already having it um, exceed expectations and everything. So it's kind of a win there, and uh, I kind of also slowly builds up that credibility again for video game films which you know it, it's been kind of a long rough road with uh the genre in general because you're that's there's almost it's kind of hard to really uh find a good video game movie out there and no matter how much the paul ws w. anderson resident evil fans out there would like to you know know come at me about this um yeah uh, they're not exactly like what i call quality cinema right (laughs) yeah (laughs) far from it actually uh so april we have no time to die i know you wanted to talk about that one specifically Uh, so what do you what are you thinking as far as this uh last daniel craig bond carrie fukunaga directing it uh are we is he gonna end this on a high note or is this gonna be specter all over again well, I mean, even though Spectre was a mixed bag critically, it still made um, actually made more than most Bond films uh, right. because the Daniel Craig era is actually the most profitable um, era of of all of the Bond hit films history. So, um, regardless, it's going to make money. Okay, so it's going to bring. So as far as it's 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 kind of gonna it's gonna be like the Nolan Dark Dark Knight Rises. Um, you're gonna end it the way you do, and I mean Bond's gonna end like any other Bond film. There's not gonna be a special goodbye or anything like that. It's just because it's you know it's what they're doing um, with uh, Broccoli and MGM. Um, what they're doing is essentially they're going back to source, and because some of the oldest stories probably do need updates and everything and or there might be unreleased material from Ian Fleming's uh uh from Ian Fleming's uh works and everything uh I mean it provides its own great source material so I guess the lesson learned here is just go to the regular source because when we look at the last Pierce Brosnan films those were original works and they were kind of mixed back and then you know it just kind of got a little too goofy and it's going to be the same note. They're not going to be over-reliant on, it's not going to be cartoonishly gadgets from Q. It's going to be the more of the same kind of fodder and it's going to make Bond cool again. Um, I mean, it never stopped making him cool and it's just going to be more dreary, mess, depressive, uh, self-destructive Bond that we all know and love. Uh, now, they do have Christoph Waltz returning, and and for some reason, I guess they're making him kind of a Hannibal Lecter mm-hmm. type, even with like a, 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 a the small cell the size of a closet. But I mean, we'll see where it goes, really, because uh, well, I mean, Rami Malek essentially is kind of almost playing his character from Mister Robot, but I guess if he just had one too many bad days. 
but um, but Safin could be um, an interesting uh, villain, but we still don't know much of anything about because the Bond villains typically become their own personality, even though it kind of almost becomes the same after a while. So I guess what we could do see is uh, whether or not maybe some of the other characters may return. Like if uh, Ray finds is M still going to be M by the time the next one. So mm-hmm. we just enjoy for what it is. And there, there's no way they're going to build up for the next one anyway, because each story is its own self enclosed. And I think the only bond that kind of was connected tissue in the Craiger was Casino Royale to Quantum of Solace. So, right. But everything else is its own standalone thing. So I think, um, you know, your normal expectations for it should be the way it is. If I mean, it'll probably be slightly better than Spectre because I was Sam Mendes' last one, but I have confidence that Kerry Fukunawa can um, pull it off. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think it'll be, you know, that they seem to be on a alternating track of, you know, really well received Daniel Craig movie, Bond movie, not so much. And then, I, so if, if that's the case, I'd like to see his run end on a high note. And, you know, he just did Knives Out, so he's got kind of his next franchise character already lined up. And, and uh, you can tell that Daniel Craig had a lot more fun doing Knives Out. I mean, aside from Absolutely. the lack of gratuitous stunts that he had to do and everything he's just i mean everything i mean it just kind of reminded him uh me of when i saw him in logan lucky even though he had that same kind of twang i mean he he looked like he was more inspired and happy to be there like throughout the film so an inspired daniel craig is a happy daniel craig (laughs) exactly yeah exactly i think he just wants to be free of the bond thing at this point uh let's see anything in uh, i don't know there's there's some stuff in april but uh i want to i feel like we just gotta since we did the dc thing we just got to do the marvel side so let's kind of bundle these (laughs) together we have black widow and uh in may and then we have eternals in geez when is that november and then, of course, thrown in the middle there, we have Venom 2, which is so- sort, we, we know of, sort of MCU, about, but not really, I guess. Right. We know nothing about Venom 2, and we know nothing about the Eternals, aside from, like, um, oh, and Morbius. photos. I forgot and about everything. that. Yeah, Morbius has also come back. I mean, and, you know, it's kind of hard to mess up Morbius, and because, well, you know, I, mean, I mean, if one thing, if you already see what uh, how a uh, a vampire superhero film could work. Just look at Blade. Yeah. So, I mean, you could pretty much see something similar and I guess less ninja-y from Jared Leto and becoming Michael Morbius. And I mean, surprisingly enough, they actually are giving a nod to the MCU uh, in that film because um, you saw uh, Michael Keaton's uh, Vulture Mm-hmm. Uh, character in there as well so i mean whether or not it has anything to do with the sinister six we don't know i mean because as far as we know the marvel deal essentially um ends like officially with the third spider-man film but it's kind of all oh, it's kind of one of those things where they can stack on options if they if as they work along so um i guess it's the ha- deal that sony and disney are happy with for now so yeah i feel like there was probably some bit in the contract about you know you have to let us play with the mcu a little more let's make these things a little more connected to you know boost our spider-verse 
uh, for you know, for lack of a better term, even though these. Yeah. Um, I mean, one thing I hope they do, like wean off completely, mm-hmm. is make Spider-Man, uh, like Peter Parker, wean completely off of Tony Stark, because mm-hmm. it just makes it sound like you know that they can't go on without him. And I, I think, in a way, it kind of pr- put a crutch on Tom Holland's Spider-Man because. Yeah. One of the things that Peter Parker's known for, and they never really truly explored it until like some random, like near the end of Far From Home, was Peter's uh, uh, genius mind, right? He was always kind of a dependent kid relying on Stark tech for everything. And then, you know, because Happy Hogan fulfilled that role from John Favreau. I mean, all of a sudden, okay, he can do things by himself more independently. Oh, oh, wait, he can he can make his own suit now from Stark Tech again. But again, we don't see him figuring out because in Marvel in general, Peter Parker is one of the best minds out there outside of Tony Stark and Reed Richards. Right, right. But he's in the MCU. He hasn't been able to demonstrate that. So I'm hoping that he makes a more transition of being more of a a thinking type hero as well, aside from just angsty, which we're always always used to seeing him. Yeah, and that was that was the ironic part about the Spider-Man almost exiting the MCU right at this point because I feel like he's finally poised to move beyond the whole Tony Stark thing after Far From Home, and it's like you know we almost lost the chance to see him in the MCU, but not like. Oh, Mr. Stark, blah, 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 the whole time and kind of, yeah. you know, develop his own identity. So I'm looking forward to seeing that continue. And, you know, Venom was interesting. I mean, it's not, I don't think it's a great movie. I don't, I don't even think it's really, it's a good movie, but it's kind of a, an interesting, fun movie in a way, in like a, in like a kind of over the top, ridiculous, like guilty pleasure type way. So I, I'm interested to see what they do with the Venom 2 and, and Morbius. And as they build out the Spider-Verse, I mean, I don't necessarily have high expectations for some of these things, but I'll see them and I'll give them, you know, I'll give them a, a chance at least. So we'll see. I, I think with Venom, what happened was it was kind of like a, look, a lovable loser, right? And yeah. it's a template that Marvel's used before and it happened to work with Eddie Brock and Venom. But the thing is, is that, I mean if you use kind of the same template on every single hero, I mean, they, they kind of lose their own distinctiveness, right? Because uh, if we think about Eddie Brock and all the other incarnations of the character, he was a guy on a redemption path. He did some bad and all that stuff, but all of a sudden with the Sony version of Venom, he's, um, he's a, some kind of loser and he didn't do anything to, do bad things and he's not trying to redeem himself for anything. He just some lucky guy who happened to find the symbiote and it became a odd couple love story thing. So, I mean, and, and you could think of that in the same way, like Ant-Man um, yeah. was kind of like that too. Um, I mean, hell, even Captain America was like that in a way, but it was like less humorous, but I mean, it's the template that's kind of worked with any protagonist and, I mean, it's. It, I mean, honestly, it kind of becomes tiresome after a while. I mean, not that Venom was a um, not fun movie. I mean, it's just kind of one of those. Okay, um, I mean, it's there, and you, you see Carnage, and he just turns out to be uh, Woody Harrelson in a bad wig. <laughs> 
Yeah, basically. basically. I mean, I think I think honestly, Woody Harrelson would have been more qualified to play Annie than uh, Cletus Cassidy, <laughs> but that's just me. Yeah, right. He was ready. He he really he did have kind of a like Raggedy Andy style look by the end of yeah. that. So yeah, um, maybe maybe they'll add that, those characters to the Spider Verse down the line. Um, any any thoughts on the I guess MCU proper, the Black Widow and Eternals? I feel like we've seen the teaser for Black Widow, but we don't really. No, too, I'm not too, too gonna much? really. And, I'm not gonna judge about the Eternals yet because yeah. I mean, you got all these like high-powered castings and everything, and you know, as with anything, uh, I guess my expectation for Eternals probably is going to be similar to that of Inhumans. Yeah, it's not something that audiences have been pre-exposed to, and you hope that the good story would kind of um, make it more like a Guardians of the Galaxy uh, type thing where they're just there. But I mean, you know, by by its nature, though, it's more to be more of a serious film. So I'm kind of curious where they go with that. And they have established peep stars going into that as well. So I guess I got no opinion on that, really. And as far as Black Widow is concerned, well, I mean, I guess it's a matter of if people are going to be invested in a character they know is going to die mm-hmm. right off the way, right? So, I mean, you could establish as many movies as you can about history uh, and all that stuff, but... I mean, quite honestly, do you really see a trilogy in this? I don't. Yeah, because, I don't either. I mean, you know, Joe has done, like, she's done a lot in her, she, they told a lot of her backstory in the Avengers films. And uh, essentially, that's kind of the way it is. And now that they put it on screen, I mean, I guess they can bring some, those time period type heroes in in that era and, you know, give her a little bit of background, but if it, okay, I guess I won't be too surprised if it gets one sequel, but I'd be, um, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if it just, it's a one-off. So mm-hmm. just to center off her way. And if Scar Jones up on DC, like in the next few years, Hey, you know, more power to her. Right. Yeah. I mean, she's also been in this franchise as long as like almost as long as, um, as, as Robert Downey Jr. I mean, he, she was there from, Iron Man too, so she's she's probably at this point ready to do some other things and not get in, you know, be stuck on the long term Marvel train, uh, you know, for for good. I, I, I think. So yeah, go ahead. I think if um, you know Marvel really wanted to do something, they pay Universal where they want for solo rights to Hulk. But yeah. we know that they're cheap and they're not going to do it, so. Yeah, well. but yeah, go go ahead. On uh, yeah, Blackwell winner. Yeah, so I was gonna say, uh, you know, she's also double Oscar nominated this year, so I'm sure she wants to like kind of take her career in other directions and not necessarily be playing the same character for another decade. Yeah. You know, just I get, mean, she had the mo- that movie coming. People were asking about that forever, so I think just yeah, mo- money's no object really. And I'm true. glad she got her own film, you know, because it was kind of a, a point of jokes in, in general. And uh, I mean, it's kind of funny that. Um, Black Widow's the one with the movie, and Hawkeye's the one with the TV series, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I mean, he we know he's still alive, so obviously they're gonna uh, they're gonna do that with uh, in post Endgame storyline, and I mean with the TV side of things, um, I guess it's kind of a open field, really. Where they go is anyone's guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, Disney Plus is a whole new world of possibilities, I guess. Uh, going through more of uh, of the summer, so we have late May. We have Fast and Furious Nine, which I don't know if you even 
if you're even in, in following that franchise or or anything, I've kind of burnt out on it at this point. <laughs> so personally, it's, it's standard popcorn fodder. Yeah, um, it's making its money, and you know, I I saw the the I'm watching the films. I mean, I don't really put too much into it. Right, it's, it's just essentially. Um, a guy soap opera that's not pro wrestling. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And, and to me, I mean, I feel like it's also of the huge, of the super big franchises right now, I feel like it's also the most disposable. Like you walk out of it and you're like, eh, I don't know. There were cars are flying off rooftops. I don't know what the hell was going on. It's fine. It was cool. <laughs> and then it's all, it, it, it's it, all interchangeable. Forget. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> So that's why I was just kind of blowing past it because I'm like, I don't have a lot to add. I mean, it's there. Vin Diesel's in it this time. Not, you know, it's not yeah. Hobbs and Shaw. So I mean, I'd probably be more inclined to talk about Bloodshot than uh, right. Fast and Furious exactly. 9. But. Exactly. Yeah, that's kind of an interesting one. I mean, he he, he has, a, I guess, another hopeful franchise. But and Vin Diesel collects franchises like Thanos collects Infinity Stone. So, uh, I mean, <laughs> you know, it wouldn't surprise the only, me. The only franchise that Vin Diesel – okay – Aside from the Fast and Furious franchise, which doesn't really take much brain power, I mean, no. I'll give them credit for the stunts and everything, but I mean, the only one that really is holding on to that's doing anything is Guardians of the Galaxy and just says one line. Right. And it takes a lot of talent to say one line in different languages and emoting it in different inflections. So I won't give them completely all crap about it, but I mean, they never made Iron Giant sequels. I mean, that could have been something. And well, they haven't he, made a second last Witch Hunter. Well, but he's also got what three triple X movies, or at least he's at least in two. Well, of them. I mean, I don't think he was in he was in two of them at least. Yeah. And I know Ice Cube was in the second one. Right. But they had, which is funny because they retconned his death because uh, to explain why he was in the second one. So that they made the third one with him in it because, like, okay, well, he's back. So. He faked his death. There we go. <laughs> and then the Riddick movies. Like I feel like at this point, it's almost more interesting to just make mention of all of Vin Diesel's other films than it is to talk about the Fast and Furious at this point. It's just like, well, let's, well yeah. I'll let's, be honest. I fell asleep during Chronicles of Riddick. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I mean, I, I mean, I saw uh, the first one, uh, which was uh, I think it was Pitch Black. Yeah, Pitch Black. Yeah, and then when they had more, much more of a budget and. It just felt like, I don't know, to me it kind of felt like the Wachowskis directed it and it was kind of similar to like Jupiter Ascending where yeah. like they had to do all this convoluted nonsense. And I mean, I mean, it's better, way better as a book than it is a film. I could just say that much. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, um, I guess Bloodshot would be good for what it is and it's kind of going to get that crossover for – uh, mindless action, violence, that probably going to get that John Wick audience. Um, so, I mean, I think I wish the best to it, but it's going to do its time. Maybe two, one, two, uh, probably a couple months in, it's going to be out of the theaters. But Yeah, so June, late June. June I think it's probably okay. belongs to Netflix. Yeah, sort of. I mean, it, it, yeah, it, it kind of feels like, like one of those type of movies that's not necessarily going to make the big splash that they think it's going to make. That's what I mean by it. Sound, that's what I meant when I called it like a, a franchise hopeful. It, it thinks it's going to be a big thing. And I kind of don't know if it's going to connect with audiences like like they're hoping. I feel like audiences will go see Vin Diesel if he's in a Fast and Furious movie. And otherwise, they're just like, eh, they're all the same. 
Yeah. So June we have uh, at the end of June we have Top Gun Maverick, and then July we have Ghostbusters Afterlife, both sequels. Uh, two movies that came out in the 80s, really, since Afterlife is picking up from Ghostbusters 2 uh, in 89. So what are your, your thoughts on uh, Top Gun and Ghostbusters and those, those movies kind of picking it up a few decades later, basically? Well, um, as far as, you know, it's writing a whole franchise thing again. Mm-hmm. Um, but Top Gun has a better shot, I feel, because, oh, I mean... We all know how much the uh, Mission Impossible films goes, and he still makes viable films. Hell, even the crap fest that was The Mummy still made money. That's true. Uh, as horrible as it was. Um, I mean, it's it's kind of safe that's going to make its money and everything. And I guess one thing I do feel bad for is Kelly McGillis, who gets left out of it. But um, as far according to her, they didn't even, even approach her. So I guess he traded up from Kelly McGillis to uh, – Jennifer Connelly, so uh, and you know, good for her, you know. And uh, they got some other t- holdovers, and they didn't reveal uh, Iceman of uh, Al Kilmer's role um, in it, and, or if he's just going to be a glorified cameo. But essentially, it's Tom Cruise and the kids. So um, I guess we'll see what uh, I mean, what uh, what could be done about it, and um, see if uh, who's. Uh, let me check. Do you remember who's directing? Um, I Top do Gun not Maverick? actually. Let's see. Let me uh, check. Joseph Kaczynski. Yeah, Joseph Kaczynski. I think he did Oblivion, Obi- right? With with Tom Cruise. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I'm hoping he could do uh, Tony Scott Proud. Um, so, you know, to carry on that legacy, and you know, we're gonna get another Kenny Loggins song because <laughs> apparently he's doing a new version of Danger Zone. Is he really? I hadn't heard that. Wow. Well, I mean, he's going to do like, a, I guess, a modernized version of it. We so recorded. it's going to be a new thing. So, but um, as far as Ghostbusters Afterlife, um, well, I mean, I guess one thing going for it is that it's not getting the negative backlash as the uh, Paul Fike film got. And I was just really unfortunate on that end. But I mean, at the same time, it's kind of like people got to learn to move on. You know, mm. it's just. And I honestly, if this is the final chapter of it, I'll be happy that it ends like that because uh, quite honestly, it's, it's kind of a hit or miss thing. It's going to be, it's either going to make its modest, um, money on the box office or it's going to crash and burn, uh, because of franchise burnout. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm really curious to see how it's, how this is going to perform after, answer the call or, or whatever the actual subtitle is of the 2016 one. Uh, because I, I didn't think that movie was as nearly as bad as everyone said it was. I think there was a lot to like in that one, even though, yes, it was very flawed. Uh, but I, you know, I wonder if now people will come out to see this as if it's the real the Ghostbusters 3 or if they're just kind of, you know, if the fans have, a lot of fans have written off the franchise after the last one and just like, oh, I don't know, it's just a bunch of kids running around. It's it's kind of Ghostbusters 3, but without Harold Ramis and the other guys like in the main roles, it's not really. It's just kind of like Stranger Things meets Ghostbusters sort of with film with Wolfhard and everything. Well, to uh, Jason Reitman's credit, okay, um, he's kind of retaining the message of Paul Feig that's done for the 2016 film. Mm-hmm. Um it, it what he's doing is that 
it's tr- it's a it's an attempt to pass the torch again. Right. And and the good thing is he has the entire cast back since Rick Moranis, um, and they're both going back to their uh, original roles. I mean, the 2016 film, everyone did a cameo essentially. Right. Um, so they played different characters. It was and it was a soft reboot that didn't work. Um, whereas this one is okay. So we established A, B, and C happened. So you get the true successor. People have been wanting three for the longest time. And, you know, a lot of people called the video game that was in 2009 the third, true third movie because mm-hmm. that was the last time when you got uh, the, the cast together with Harold Ramis doing, um, playing their characters again. And, yeah, I mean, essentially, you kind of almost have to think of this as a Force Awakens type situation. Right. But, I mean, as far as letting Finn Wolfhard and McKenna Grace doing like another film of that. It's probably, it's not going to happen, but hopefully it's just kind of one of those things where, you know, it's, it's kind of a coming to age type of, um, legacy story. And it's something cool. It's a, it's a good heartwarming and, and a nice dedication thing. It says the kind of things you're wanting to say, but never had a chance to. So that's kind of the hope there. And, you know, no matter what anyone says about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm open to it. It's just, a, it's like I said, coming so late after Ghostbusters 2, after the failed reboot, as you mentioned, that it, I kind of wonder if it's a little, you know, too little too late as far as, as that's concerned. But I'm, I like Jason Reitman as a filmmaker. And, you know, I, I like to varying degrees the previous three films. I mean, I don't think either the sequel or the 2016 reboot holds a candle to the original Ghostbusters. Uh, but I'm willing to see what, what Jason, the other Reitman, is, uh, is going to bring to it. So really interested to see how that's going to play out. Yeah, and um, he's also taking a hand of co-writing the script, too. So it'll be interesting um, how it kind of plays out and everything. Yeah, which is so funny, too, because uh, the last Ghostbusters the, with this in this continuity is 89, and then that was also the same year that Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure came out. So then, oh, we yeah. had, then we had a sequel to that in, I think, 91, both movies of which I was a huge fan of. I saw both, I at least saw the second one in theaters. Um, and now we have Bill and Ted Face the Music coming out in August. Uh, are you a fan of that franchise or, or interested at all? Yeah, in that I, I, loved, I loved both films growing up. Yeah. And, you know, some of the humor and jokes and the, the what, what you got away with it at the time, I mean, it wouldn't really stand uh, – it wouldn't – stand up really today but i'm just kind of wondering because they were so into that lingo um would it feel awkward if they actually talk like adults in the in face of music? because we haven't seen any teasers mm-hmm. or anything of that aside from any back uh, behind the scenes stuff and pictures and still so we absolutely have no idea what this film is going to look like yeah that's true i mean or if they're not talking like adults, if it's just still going around, you know, excellent with the air guitar, is it going to be weird seeing like, you know, 50, what is he, 56-year-old Keanu Reeves or something acting like he's a teenager? Um, it's just weird to me that this and Ghostbusters, this version of Ghostbusters, are both coming out like so close together when I feel like those were two of the nostalgia sequels that felt like they were 
always talked about but never really happened and now they're both happening kind of close together i think that's kind of crazy yeah and um what's what's fun about uh bill and ted coming back is that you know um i think all this uh all the surviving uh cast members from the previous films are come back mm-hmm. which um i think it was amy stotch and howland and um jr um those those were holdovers from the previous films um obviously they're they're going to obviously explain um, George Carlin's Rufus's absence, and um, probably going to see the same way of Afterlife with Harold Ramis's absence. So they're probably going to have him killed off screen and have something dedication or anything. So I guess it's going to be kind of interesting to see how um, the the relic of the long distant past, a phone booth, makes its way back into 2020. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, you know, so you imagine how many films involve a uh, phone booth and how they don't really age well now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Kids today are going to be like, I don't get it. What is this? It's a box for you to go in there and, and make a phone yeah, No, no, it's, a, it's an American TARDIS. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Basically, yeah, kind of. Um, plus, you know, William Sadler as death when that was announced. I was just like, oh, yeah, yes, yeah. that's amazing. Um, and it's not like they need to do much uh, – have them change. He just goes in the white makeup. Yeah, exactly. Just way. kick all that on. And he's that. Yeah. It doesn't matter how long it's been. You sunk my battleship. <laughs> I love that. I'm, a, I'm very excited about rewatching those movies again before the third one. Um, let's see what else we got. Uh, so uh, September, we have like the new Conjuring, I guess. I didn't even know there was another one coming out. And uh, the Kingsman prequel. Neither of which supposedly I'm, that that's been yeah. pushed back like forever. Yeah, so I wonder. Supposedly if that's, it's going to come out. I don't know. I'm kind of whatever with. The, I like the Kingsman, the especially the first one, but that franchise I, I enjoy. I don't really have much interest in the prequel. I mean, I might see it, but I'm not. I mean, like, the prequel the is good to like, I guess, for establishment of stories because it's kind of like this revisionist um, nonsense that you mm-hmm. can have like zero expectations and fun like. Um, when they act like inventions got retroactively um, created by like X organization, like in the trailer where he said, this is a parachute and they're kind of looking at what, what the hell is it? It's supposed to, you're supposed to jump out with this when you fall out of the sky. It's like, "Mm." and then, but I mean, they got some serious A-list talent on there with, uh, Jimon Hansu, Ray Fiennes, uh, Gemma Atterton. Um, but knowing that of course, um, I mean, unless they're going to do a sequel, which I don't really know if it's going to happen. Um, but, I mean, the life of a Kingsman doesn't really last long at all. If we know him from the first and second films, um, you know, if you're just like not seeing Golden Circle by now, spoil alert. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, it's Matthew Vaughn and he's been able to deliver in all his films and he hasn't really disappointed yet. So. And and even still, like even since the Golden Circle was far inferior to um, the Secret Service, uh, there were still some really good, memorable moments there. Like uh, yeah. Elton John. I mean, come on, <laughs> <laughs> he was definitely the highlight of that film. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And just to, it's just to me the way that that ended, and I feel like so much of that franchise ways is you know based on um, it's based on the charisma of, of Taron Egerton, the chemistry he has with. Uh, with Colin Firth and, and, you know, the other characters. And and so to me, this when they announced this and that it was coming before the third one, which they're still doing, 
it just felt to me like, oh, okay, so they just want to keep the franchise alive while they work out the scheduling well, on everybody, I guess. They, they also made a huge addition, um, you know, aside, you know, despite losing Mark Strong, mm-hmm. you know, for, for um, you know, that in the second film, they gained Channing Tatum. Right. So, and, and Halle Berry. Like he had fun. Yeah, Halle Berry as well. So, I mean, if they want, I mean, uh, Tarn Egerton said that they, they, He's looked at the third film script as far as any form of shooting schedule. I guess, you know, since he's in higher demand and Rocketman and everything um, with popularity, he's going to do more high-profile roles and he's going to probably fit into his schedule because that's essentially what, where he made his name in. So I'm sure he's going to be there for a trilogy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I'll... I'm really looking forward to that. It's just the prequel part of it that I'm like, I don't know. Do I really want to see that story? I mean, sure. Matthew Vaughn, like you said, he he's, hasn't really made a bad film. So I'm, if he feels like there's something to say there in that world, I'll, I'll take his word on it. So, uh, you know, that that's, yeah, it just seems like an awkward timing to do a prequel in the middle of your trilogy. But, you know, who am I to judge? Um, <laughs> moving into the fall... We have, uh, let's see, Death on the Nile, the Murder in the Orient Express sequel. That should be fine. I mean, I don't know. What were your thoughts? Did you see Murder on the Orient Express? Do you, are you interested yeah, at all Yeah, I mean, I'm, I've got, like, I like uh, murder mysteries uh, mm-hmm. in general. And I, I always kind of thought, like, they always have a place because people are always into that. But I just kind of found it weird that it's such a rare thing now. Yeah. And with Knives Out coming out and then, doing in the success of that film i'm sure we're going to see more of those coming out and uh you know kenneth Branagh was i mean he's always interesting and entertaining to watch and everything and it's kind of one of those things where um you get all-star casts and you the budget you pretty much couldn't invest into that and you don't really need hardly anything for effects so uh, essentially you can just pay attention for to a very human uh driven story these uh, whodunits are timeless because um, everything's going to have its own um, effect. Uh, crime's always going to be, you know, well, essentially timeless because, you know, you see how Sherlock Holmes, the stories are still being told to this day. Mm-hmm. So, and they're modernizing it. They're putting in the old original format. I mean, there's always going to be appeal. Agatha Christie as well. So, um, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, it's good uh, fodder. Um, it's pretty good discussion piece too. And really, it's it's kind of one of those things where you can separate yourself as a moviegoer um, co- compared to like maybe just a casual um, fan. You could just talk among other movie lovers and everything. And it's just something that they just have good old um, fun. Yeah, yeah. And and I think Brana was a lot of fun as Poirot. So I'm. If nothing else, I'm looking forward to seeing more of him in that character. And I think if if nothing else, you know, the Murder in the Orient Express actually did really well. But I feel like now Knives Out kind of keeping that train going is only going to set the stage for the Death on the Nile to do even better. Just because now yeah. audiences are are thirsty for more of that of that genre. Thanks to uh, uh, thanks to Ryan Johnson. I think they're also looking to try to remake Clue at some point, but I yeah, haven't I heard, heard anything news recently. So. Yeah, I heard about that. I like the original Clue. I mean, I would be very curious, like very cautious about who they would get for that. 
I think oh, it would be it would be done. nice if they got if they got Tim Curry back, but I know that yeah he said he's seen better days. So exactly, I could see them doing like uh, getting like um Lord and Miller or someone like that to kind of direct that. I feel like that sort of sensibility would work well for for Clue, but I think it can be done. I just it has to be yeah it has to be done in a in a in a way that someone can bring a, a fresh voice to it and not have it just feel like a redo of the of the '80s one. Um, and kind of make it make it feel new, sort of in the way that Knives Out did kind of his own. You know, Ryan Johnson did his own version of Poirot, but it doesn't feel like Poirot. It's it's its own its own yeah. uh, animal. So let's see the rest of the year. We mentioned you already mentioned Halloween Kills, and then I know they have Halloween Ends. I think twenty twenty one. Just yeah. any any you know quick thoughts on the, the Halloween franchise and and where you're hoping it'll go now. Well, I think one of the things that Halloween Kills. Um, well, just maybe the the pseudo sequel because that retcons everything uh, that the Halloween franchise was. Uh, if anything, reveals that comedians could uh, write very well for horror films. Mm-hmm. And I mean, heck, not going deviating too much off here, but Chris Rock is writing a Saw film. That's true. If you asked me five or ten years ago if I see Chris Rock writing a horror film. I would never. That would probably be near my bottom of, on my list. Yeah. But you know, Danny McBride. You know, he's really talented, and kind of used to seeing his um, obnoxious self from This Is the End and Eastbound and Down. But I mean, the, the guy's pretty talented, and he really appreciates the source material. Even going to the point where they're getting some of the old uh, people from the Carpenter films. Not that they're casting one to one all the same, but they're bringing back some people that actually went on to have acting careers um, for the for the films. So, I mean, it's strong continuity. It's one singular story that's going on, and it's kind of refreshing. And it's it brings a level of that um, kind of a groundness to it, where you know you see the same characters uh, as opposed to like the endless horror slasher sequels like in Friday the 13th or Nightmare where you always get these new cast of characters or you might get one person returning or anything and mm-hmm. it's this, you know, same different type of premise. It's the same premise but different template. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it's great that they're retaining the spirit of the Carpenter film. Yeah, and I, you know, to your point about um, about comedians and horror and kind of the the link there. I mean, I think it's you know it's been discussed before, but comedy and horror have very similar sort of setups, and you're, you're building to a gag or a scare. You're, you're setting that suspense, and I think you're seeing that really obviously with someone like Jordan Peele and his career and the way he's shifted from yeah. one to the other. I think there there's more much more of a connection between those two genres than a lot of people care to admit, and I think uh, yeah, I think we're seeing that with the. They had the uh, you know re- revived Halloween franchise in these last uh, these next couple films. So uh, let's see. Moving along, we have looks like about Thanksgiving. I know Godzilla versus Kong got pushed there. I don't really have much to say about it because I still actually haven't seen uh, King of the Monsters, and I'm sort of disconnected from that that monster verse. What are your have you? What did you think of uh, I guess Skull Island and, and the Godzillas? Um. I mean, the way it's kind of expected, it's kind of one of those things where you have to kind of keep the um, 
the balance between like the monsters uh, and the humans uh, up to keep their interest and everything because obviously you can't like really draw the story out just on monsters much anymore because um, audiences kind of have that short attention span and I mean it's kind of more of um, you have to make it more of a social commentary and that's kind of how the mold is for these things um, I, I, I liked the um, I liked the, the Godzilla the, the redone one um, and um, the Skull Island I mean it was fine I mean, mm-hmm. it, it stands on its own. Um, I mean, I think the Peter Jackson one is a little bit superior to it, but uh, I mean, there's not really a lot out there as far as just reinventing the wheel for those things. It's just kind of making the story interesting enough and making the characters likable. So I, I think in that effect, they've uh, accomplished that. And, you know, somebody like a Ken Watanabe can um, help with that and, and, you know, he's lent his credibility uh, on those things. And, I mean, pretty much it's it, they finally figured out a formula to make Godzilla work in the States. Um, whereas before, I think it was kind of over, they overthought it and it just doesn't really work out. So, but now, um, now that they've got their own little universe building there, um, they, they found the, per- they found a good enough formula. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, even though I'm not necessarily the biggest Godzilla or Kong fan, I'm definitely I love I love all the franchise mashups. You know, I really like even something like Freddy versus Jason, like how the uh, these studios mash together these iconic characters. And I know Godzilla and Kong have crossed paths before on the big screen, but like I'm curious to, to I'm really uh, I'm definitely open to seeing how they they pull that one off. And uh, you know, I will I even me who's not really into that, that, the, the kaiju genre that much, even I'll probably turn out to see this one. So I am very, uh, very interested to see if that actually pans out. And I know Godzilla King of the Monsters was not even really that huge of a box office draw, at least not domestically. So I, I, I wonder how they're retooling Godzilla versus Kong and what they're doing to try and... Uh, get this franchise which is it's been successful but not nearly as successful as i think anybody really has wanted it to be you know there's something that has to be said about uh, a man in a rubber suit destroying miniatures. <laughs> yeah. there you go um, that's all i gotta say about that yeah we gotta go back to basics <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so uh we're kind of almost done here it looks like for so currently according to imdb December 18th, we have these three big movies coming out, and I feel like there's no way in hell these three and none movies of them are Star out. Wars. Yeah, right? Weird. I don't know how that's gonna how that's gonna work. No Star Wars. It's I it's know, all right. yeah, it's completely uncertain with Star Wars. That's a whole other conversation. But so December 18th, we're supposed to get I guess it's a, it's supposed to be the first half, right? Because isn't Denis Villeneuve doing two Dune movies? So I guess one of the Dune movies. Um, coming to America with the numeral two, because it's a sequel. Uh-huh. And uh, Spielberg's West Side Story remake. So, thoughts, I think I've seen, uh, a, I've seen a still, I guess, of West Side yeah. Story, but beyond that, I really haven't seen anything else of the other films, so I'm going to reserve my judgment mm-hmm. on speaking out on those films. <laughs> I like Villeneuve's movies generally, so I'm definitely, especially after seeing Blade Runner 2049, which was a movie yeah. I quite enjoyed, I, I'm 
definitely uh, down for him to take on Dune. So, uh, you know, once again, like you said, these movies are coming out almost a year from now. So we haven't really seen much of anything. I feel like, well, I'll give you my quick thoughts. I already said about Dune. Coming to America, I really like, you know, I'm obviously, a, a, you know, grew up with Eddie Murphy. And I think he's, he's hilarious. And it's been a while since he's had really good material to work with. Dolomite is My Name was actually a really solid film. And he was really good in it. And this is the same director. So I'm, I'm optimistic that coming to America is going to be worthwhile and worth going back into, what was that, 1988, when that original movie came out. So yeah. uh, I, I'm... You know, a long. Well, it's very few sequels that have come out decades later, especially of comedies, and actually been good. That's my only thing. I'm like, there's very yeah. little precedent for that. Well, I mean, of the stories that I know uh, of coming to America's sequel, is that um, Murphy's character is returning back to America. Um, you know, hence the name. But uh, he's apparently looking for. Um, his long lost son that he had after a one night stand, which kind of what factors in, um, the castings of Leslie Jones and, um, Tracy Morgan. Um, so Leslie Jones will play the, the woman that got knocked up, uh, from Eddie Murphy's character, um, and conceived the child. And, uh, Tracy Morgan's going to play her brother, uh, so it's be kind of, I mean, you're getting a little of the past, you're getting a, um, a, of the current and future of comedy and everything. It's kind of one of those things where, I mean, one thing I did, uh, I did enjoy about the original film was the multiple roles that Arsenio Hall mm-hmm. and, uh, Eddie Murphy performed, which I assume will happen again. Yep. Um, everyone from the original film, the major, uh, players, Includes James Earl Jones. He's coming back for the film as well. Um, the woman who ended up playing his wife at the conclusion of the uh, first one's coming back too. So, I mean, they're getting a lot of familiar faces. And, you know, I guess if there are enough people that remember from the original John Landis film um, come by, and I'm sure it's going to be interesting to see. One thing that, was, that kind of struck out at me, um, which I guess... I think it was Paramount that owned the rights. Mm-hmm. Um, I found it amusing that they sold off the rights to Beverly Hills Cop 4 to Netflix because they're a little leery and unsure about nostalgia and um, sequels and everything. And I mean, I don't think that the third film did bad, real per se. I mean, it probably made some money, but I mean, the fact that they're talking about doing a fourth movie and it's not going to be a theatrical release i mean maybe it's not such a curse bad thing now but it's just kind of weird to think that it's another one's coming out but it's not going to be in theaters yeah yeah well that's a nuts i mean talk, we were talking about ghostbusters and bill and ted earlier that's another like nostalgia sequel that's been sort of in the works forever but still hasn't really come to fruition i think they shot the like tv pilot that never aired for the tv show uh that you know murphy cameoed in the first episode of and and things like that, but I yeah, I think coming to America, it's there's there's potential there. I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to see a trailer to see just kind of um, where it's going. And I think uh, Murphy's kind of getting back in the groove of things. And I mean, Zeke is kind of taking a a back seat. And he said he wanted to go to stand up again. And I guess he's sowing his wild oats as far as 
getting back to his original comedic roots. Heck, uh, I remember what, um, seeing his uh, return to Saturday Night Live, and I mean, he got probably one of some of the biggest reactions. And even the, when the SNL uploads their clips on YouTube, they, they've pretty much been like the highest generating videos compared to like others in my recommended feed um, because everyone still remembers his days on SNL and the beloved characters and the laughs he gave. So, I mean, the guy made a comeback before and he's probably going to make it for another one. So the guy is resourceful and talented and, and venerable. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, to just round out the, this, the December 18 lineup. And like I said, I, there's no chance these are all coming out December 18th. I did not see that happening. Uh, is West Side Story remake, which I don't think really needs to exist, period. I mean, that's just me. If you're going to make a musical, Spielberg, just make a new musical? I don't know. Crazy idea. Um, so uh, do you have any thoughts on that? And then we'll kind of start wrapping up here. Um, I mean, I, I've seen a handful of musicals that are modern adapted. Um, I mean really isn't anything that kind of stands out other than what the source material is. And I mean, I don't, don't really know much of anything about it. Right. I mean, I guess in a sense, it almost feels like a step down and maybe kind of a bucket list thing for him because he mm-hmm. hasn't done one. He wants to do it. And then like, what else is there for him to do? I hear he's doing a fifth Indiana Jones film and it's like, Okay. I mean, he isn't in as innovative as he once no. was. And I mean, he, it's just, I don't know. It, it's kind of one of those weird things. And, and same thing with Zemeckis, Robert Zemeckis. Yeah. Um, he used to kind of like be automatic and be innovative as a filmmaker, but now he's, they're doing like old traditional stories again. And okay. I mean, I guess they're family fodder, but I mean, are you doing anything new or, I mean, just, try to do something like bring us some little excitement. It just seems like they're kind of phoning it in, but I don't know. I mean, they made their money. So I guess, um, once in a while, I guess if they want to get these vanity projects made, it's their prerogative. Yeah. That feels like a, a perfect way to end <laughs> discussion on 2020, <laughs> uh, the year in cinema. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of, we obviously are focusing more on the franchise stuff because it's hard to, judge any of the other ones throughout the course of the year but i think there's you know there's a lot of good films i think in the uh in the coming months on the slate oh, wait, you're just... not you're not looking forward to seeing taken with blake lively oh no <laughs> the rhythm oh, section sorry. the rhythm one? section yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, or maybe call it like peppermint two i don't know yeah just ever garden need her version and now blake lively has one so i'm guessing now ryan reynolds can make Liam Neeson and his wife jokes. There you go. Um, <laughs> Deadpool three. Yeah, sure. <laughs> why, why not? <laughs> um, so Tom, uh, any final thoughts on 2020 and like what we're, what we have looking forward to? Well, um, as far as anything like super stands out that I'm looking forward to out of curiosity, I think the Bill and Ted film is mm. the most morbidly curious that I've ever been in the film, seeing that, you know, two guys who didn't even really speak like 
they spoke like cliche, right? Walking cliches yeah. and wondering how it trans translates to 2020 has made really, really curious. Um, I guess, um, knowing how the fourth matrix is going to turn out is, I mean, as far as, as news comes along of how they retcon people's deaths and all that stuff, that's going to be fun to find out. And, um, yeah, I'm curious about how Dana Craig's final turn as Bond is going to turn out and if they're going to make any more of announcements of who might be a successor, which, according to the uh, Broccoli family, it's not going to be a woman. So right. I guess, you know, whoever was concerned about that can rest now. Um, <laughs> but I say that sarcastically. Of course. Of yeah, I got that. But, yeah. Um, but, yeah, other than that, um, looking forward to the new Halloween film. But it just seems like the year's kind of like expected, if not like glory key. Um, looking forward to seeing what turns out and uh, the new announcements and everything and see where it goes. And we're also seeing an influx of new streaming platforms as well. So mm -hmm. we're going to be uh, set with all different sorts of content, not just TV, but films. And it's just a high time to be a uh, creative. And also, heck, um, I'll just say it right now, even though it's just TV strictly, I'm. Uh, I'm really um, gleeful over uh, Star Trek Picard simply because it's one of those, it's the best type of um, way that worked for nostalgia purposes and, and it works into contemporary uh, programming. So this uh, 2020 is uh, off to a great start and looking forward to looking at more things. Great. Awesome. Tom, can you tell listeners where they can find you on social media? Oh, uh, yes. Um, <clears throat> So uh, a bit, I'm on Twitter. Uh, these one salty nerd. Um, Facebook is one salty nerd mudgeon. Um, you can find my work on Bleeding Cool. Um, pretty much, write reviews, news items. You know, just uh, come check us out there. We have a lot of great voices on there. Um, good coverage. Uh, everything from Doctor Who, Supernatural, um, <clears throat> Star Wars, um, all different sorts of flavors. So. If you check out bleedingcool.com, um, we're always uh, talking. So anything on your mind, you're happy to speak out on and you know, look forward to seeing you. Awesome. Excellent. Well, Tom, thank you so much for coming on to talk about the, uh, the year ahead in 2020 and the movies. Thank you for having me on. For. Yeah, we'll have to have you back at some point, maybe to talk about one of these movies that we mentioned on this episode. All right. Um, yeah, thanks a lot then. Have me on, Rob. Thanks, Tom. All right, take care. If you're interested in joining me on the show to chat about one of your favorite films, head on over to crookedtable.com slash guest. Or you can consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash crookedtable. Of course, you can always find more podcasts, reviews, videos, and other movie-related goodies over at crookedtable.com. Until next time, this has been the Crooked Table Podcast, and I've been Rob. This has been a production of crookedtable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of the little KED. <laughs> 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 <laughs>